This is the Holland Assets Podcast, where we'll show you how to go from employee truck driver to savvy business owner. And we'll do it together because we're starting our own trucking company, Holland Assets. So you'll get a front row seat through the whole process. Together with some experts in the field, we'll teach you how to set up a business, buy a truck, get your DOT and MC numbers, get insurance, and a lot more. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Holland Assets. I am Craig, and over there, he is... Chris. Chris, welcome back. Good to be back. Glad to see you, buddy. Uh, today, we are talking business entities and tax structures for your business. Now, look, I get it. This is not the most exciting topic, but it is vital. We're going to be talking about a lot of really important stuff when it comes to starting a trucking company, and this is one of those foundational pieces that we absolutely must get right and we got to understand it before we can move on to all the other stuff. So I kind of think of this as uh, eating your vegetables. And look, we're going to have other episodes in the future where, uh, you know, we're, we're buying a truck and we're talking about how to change your mindset from going from driver to business owner. And those are going to be episodes where we get to have a little bit more fun. Dessert. Uh, dessert. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. Not the vegetables. This maybe is the vegetables. not so much vegetables in that case. But, uh, you know, you got to eat your vegetables. You so this is important stuff. So I hope you will hang with us. Everything else that comes after this will kind of hinge on understanding these basic principles. So before we get into it, I'm just going to remind everybody, go to check out the show notes at hollandassetsllc.com. Uh, and if you want to reference the tools that we talk about in this episode and future ones, you can also go to motorcarrierhq.com. All sorts of tools there, things to help you make decisions for yourself in your quest to build an amazing trucking company. So Chris... When it comes to business entities and tax structures, this ain't your first rodeo. I have done this a time or two. I, I set up my first LLC probably about 15 years ago, and I bought my first rental property, and I've set up over a dozen cents. A dozen? That's, a dozen, yeah. It, it, would probably you say a this baker's is, dozen. Is this an, an, an addiction for you? It, I, do you have a problem? I do have a problem, yeah. <laughs> Ask my wife. She'll tell you. <laughs> I'm sure she'll give an honest answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, run us a little bit through what we're doing today. Okay, great. Yeah, so we're going to talk a lot about setting up trucking companies. I've done this for thousands of companies in the past. Um, and, and as you mentioned, kind of in that little intro, this is really the foundation of everything. And so it's super important. You got to get it right because you set up the entity, which is what's going to apply for your motor carrier authority. It's uh, what makes your contracts. Everything is based on setting up the entity. So there's a couple things you really want to make sure that you get right. And people don't often think about these things. So take, for example, you want to pick the right name for your trucking company. Um, so if I wanted, uh, you know, Fred's Daisies. Fred's Daisies is not good. Fluffy Bunny 99. <laughs> you know, that may be a good email address, not a good business name. It's a, it's a great email address in like 1995. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But not now. And don't, don't do your your business name that way. You want to have something that's simple, that's something easy to do. You know, every time you're talking to a broker on the phone, you don't want to have to be spelling out a complicated name. So, you know, something like reliable transportation, you know, that's pr something that's really simple and is a, a good business name. So this name is something that you've got to have ready to go before you go speak to your legal or your tax professional, uh, because as you sign up for this, as, as you file the paperwork with the government, you've got to have that name ready to go. You do. And you, so you typically want to have one, you, you want to have a couple name options because if in your state, there's already reliable transportation, they're not going to let you pick that name. 
Um, you and, and different states have different rules. You know, some states you could do reliable transportation, and there could be a reliable trucking or reliable transport. Other states are a little bit more picky, and you know they're going to treat transport and trucking as the same thing. So it's got to be a little bit more, you know, vastly different than that. And you also don't want to pick something that's that's really hard to spell. Kind of like I was mentioned, like you know, if you were going to call it Bueller transportation, you know, most people aren't going to know how to spell that. They're not going to write it down right. So the simpler you can be, the better off that name is going to be. But again, it's something you want to be proud of, and 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 you want to feel like it's your own. So ultimately, it's your decision. Right now, the next question that uh, somebody's got to answer for themselves is, and, and frankly, this might be the first one. I mean, interchangeable, I suppose. But what kind of business do you want to run? Is it a sole prop? Is it a, a partnership? Are you going into business with somebody else? And to that end, you brought up. Uh, we've talked. I can't remember on mic or off mic about a Charles Koch quote that you like. That dug on it. Now I like too. You're you're <laughs> cursing me with these things. Yeah, Charles Koch. I was listening to actually a podcast that he was being interviewed on and talking about partnerships and the things that he looks for in a partnership. And he says there's three things that he looks for in a partnership. The partners have to have shared vision shared values and complementing skill sets. And so shared vision, meaning, meaning what exactly? We're talking short-term, long-term vision. Uh, what What's the business going to look like next week or how do we set it up? Or are you talking about, here's what we want to grow into in 15 years and we want this vast empire? Both. But, you know, the things that are really going to cause the biggest types of conflict are, are those long-term vision things. So you take, for example, if you've got one partner who wants to have a five truck fleet and no bigger than that and you've got another truck or another partner that wants to have a hundred truck fleet you're going to have so much conflict in that partnership that it's just not going to work right and the next one was shared values which uh, sounds pretty similar but i suppose this is kind of leaning into something a little bit different what what does he mean by shared values so um a lot of it you know the, the easiest way i think to kind of describe that is probably to talk ethics and honesty you know if you've got a partner who is willing to um, push the envelope with ethics and another partner that's just straight laced and straight as an arrow, that's going to create conflict and it's going to create for a toxic partnership, make a dysfunctional family that's just really not going to work. So you want to have, you want to be on the same page in that area as well. Look, my mother can tell you I'm not always as straight laced as maybe I should be. But um, if I am, let's say I'm the straight laced guy, uh, how am I going to tell the difference? As I'm thinking about a partnership, I'm I'm looking around. Is it my best friend who I've known for 20 years, and that's the only person that I would think about going into business with? How do you kind of you know pick out the the sharks? That's a that's a really good question, you know. And 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 we're gonna have as part of the um, show notes and and on the Motor Carrier HQ website for this podcast, we're gonna have a basically a questionnaire that you can kind of go through with your partner and or potential partner, and you can each answer the same questions. And if you come up with different answers, that's going to be an indication that there may be some issues there with that, that partnership. Right. Now, also reaching back into episode one, uh, you mentioned, and I, I remember this, I want points for this, Chris. I want points <laughs> because I remembered uh, when we A talk gold about- star on your forehead. That's right. Uh, um, you, when you talk about complementing capabilities, you were talking about the idea of having- in a partnership, you've got one guy who maybe is the driver. He's good at that, got a great record, enjoys it. And then one guy who's really good at the business side of things, the accounting, the whatever uh, the case may be, complementary capabilities that way, right? Yeah, and I can't really stress that concept enough. It, it doesn't, 
to some people necessarily sound like it's something super important, but it is absolutely critical. If you've got two partners that both of them are just really good drivers, um, but they're not good at the the business management side of things, it's going to really handicap that company and and really increase the chances that it's not going to be successful. But if you've got a partner that's really good with finances, you've got one that's a really good driver, or maybe you're really good at managing drivers, you know, they each have their set of responsibilities. They're each good at different things. And that's really what creates the magic in partnerships. And that's really when partners work. I've got, uh, most of my businesses I've got partners in, and that's definitely the biggest thing that I look for. Those complementing skill sets, you know, one person good at one thing, one person good at another. And you realize that you recognize that in the other person and you allow them to stay in their lane and do their thing while you do your thing. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, in the first two, you got shared vision and shared values. And in that you're almost looking for, if not a clone, at least somebody who's really closely aligned with you. But in the third category, it's somebody who is quite different from you. You want them to be different from you. You want them to be able to, and willing to do things that uh, maybe aren't quite your cup of tea, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. So before we get to the next portion of the show, because we do have somebody coming up, a conversation that you had, I do want to plug something that we've got in the show notes. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. It's also um, it's also at MotorCarrierHQ.com, uh, this partnership worksheet. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and what people can do with it. So it'll just basically have a few questions in each one of those categories of values of vision and capabilities. And each partner will take the worksheet themselves answer the question without showing it to the other partner until you're both done. And once you're both done, you look at it together. And, and if you're answering questions differently, then there's potential issues there. If you're on the same page with those questions, then, you know, that's a good sign. And this is a, a the sort of thing I, you know, I'm thinking to, uh, it, this sounds a whole lot like you go to marriage counseling and they, they have you take the little personality tests or something, you know, and then, and then you talk about that, uh, that quiz that you both took. It's uh, the kind of thing where when you do it, you've got to understand that if the answer is no, that doesn't mean that the other person is a bad person uh, or that you're a bad person, right? It just might not be the best partnership strategy to... Hey, you to, might not be compatible. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's all fine. It is. Uh, yeah, nothing so, wrong with So now let's get to a couple of interviews that you did. We're going to start with Preston. Uh, Preston's an attorney uh, that you chatted with what do we need to cover before we start into this section with Preston? What what sort of things are you guys going to talk about? Do you want to lay the groundwork for anything? Yeah, there's basically going to be two main interviews as part of this podcast. The one with Preston where we cover the legal aspect of setting up your business. Now that's done through your state that typically people do it through the state that they reside in and it, it's just creating that legal structure. Then the second part we're going to talk about is the tax piece, and that's done on the federal level, so with the IRS. So you want to kind of understand there's a distinction there. We'll first get in with it with Preston, um, and we're going to cover and you know with him talk about four different legal structures, a sole proprietor, a partnership, an LLC, and corporations. And we'll get into that detail when we when, in the interview with him. Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, we are going to get into a lot of details in that uh, interview, or you are. <laughs> I, I didn't have to do it. <laughs> But we're going to get into a lot of details there. We'll probably talk a little bit more about them after uh, as we're coming out of that interview. So I just want to remind people that there will be a little bit of repetition. But frankly, with something that is as important as what we're talking about, a little repetition ain't going to hurt. Uh, We've got to have this stuff down cold. So 
as we repeat things a little bit, it's partly just going to be to keep me straight on it. I know you're already straight on it. So it's uh, going to be good for us to remind ourselves every once in a while of some of the, the key pieces of information. The other thing that I will mention as we go into this interview with Preston is that this is a this is a legal professional. And later we're going to be talking with a tax professional uh, later on in the episode. But uh, although these are legal and tax professionals, these are not your legal and tax professionals. And so I just don't want to give that disclaimer while the information that they're giving is going to be good, broad info for everybody they are not speaking to your situation specifically. And so you should always make sure you're speaking to your own legal or tax professional to make sure that you're doing the right thing for your situation. Perfect. Okay, let's dive in with Preston. Today, I'm here with Preston, an attorney that I have worked with through a couple of my businesses for a while, always does a great job for us. And we're going to talk about the legal structure of setting up a business entity today. So Preston, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. My name is Preston Kerner. I'm a a solo corporate attorney. I do business through a a legal firm, Kerner Legal Advisory. And as background, I've worked for banks, financial institutions, other technology and startup companies, and, and usually help them with their contracts, their entity formation, things like that. Well, let's just go ahead and get right into it. And uh, so when you start a trucking company, are you required to formally register that trucking company? No, there's no requirement to formally register a trucking company. When you do it that way, you're going to be recognized as a sole proprietor by the state. And you are the business entity. It's you doing business. You're the same thing. There's no separation between you and your, your business. Okay, so then why, you know, I'm, I'm, I know it costs money. It costs money to set up a business with the state and to register with the state. So if it costs money and it takes time, why would you even want to do it? Most people will set up and register their business for two main reasons. They'll do it to protect their personal assets, to separate those assets, and they'll do it because they're looking for specific tax savings. Okay. So in in the next episode, when I um, talk with Jason, we're going to cover the tax piece a little bit more. So, so t- with you and I, we're just going to look more at that legal structure. And one of the ways that when we're talking or working with clients that I like to explain this, because it's kind of hard to understand that separation where you've got you know kind of two separate entities. I, I kind of look at it like when you set up a business, it's kind of like you've, uh, you know, you've made a baby. You've got a baby and that business becomes your baby you've got responsibility for that business, but it is completely separate from you. Just like your kids, they're not you, they're different from you, two separate beings. It's the same thing with a business. Now that business might act like you, it might think like you, and it might have a similar personality to you, but it is not you. You're two separate things. Yeah, that's right. Creating the separate entity, I'll use a similar analogy. It's it's putting your eggs in a different basket. So one of the things you do when you set up that that business entity is you create a new basket, you put some eggs in that basket, you have your personal basket, and that's going to have assets like your your personal vehicle, your truck, your, um, your home, things like that that you may own individually. And then when you set up the business, that's going to have your business assets, which could be uh, your tractor, your trailer, that could be any business assets that you have at the office. It could be a computer, printer, things like that. And so what you're doing is you're separating your personal from your business through that legal entity, and it's two separate things. 
Okay. I, yeah, I, I kind of really like that that basket analogy. So you've you know you've created two separate baskets. Your personal basket that has your personal assets or eggs in it, and your business basket that has your business assets and or or eggs in it. So they're just completely separate things. Um, because you know, like if if you get sued or if something happens they can only come after one of those baskets, right? You've set up your business legally through the state. It's registered. They come after the um, business basket. You could potentially lose your you know, business assets, but that's a heck of a lot better than being a sole proprietor and losing your business assets and your personal assets. So that, that protection of personal assets is really what um, the, the, the whole reason behind setting up or registering like a, a, an LLC or a corporation, which we'll talk a little bit about those two different things here in a second, right? Yeah, that's right. And and I think it's just helpful to understand that when you have a separate business, the only thing you can lose is the assets of those business. So uh, the assets of that business. So if somebody comes after you for business liabilities, they could potentially reach business assets, but they're not going to reach your personal assets. Okay, good. So now that we understand a little bit of the why we do this, let's talk a little bit about how you go about registering the business. Why don't you explain that to us? Yeah, most people will go ahead and register in the state that they live in. And you can do that pretty easily, quite easily and affordably. Uh, the main business registration types are in addition to sole proprietorship, which we've already talked about, which is just out of the box what you do without setting up anything. You could also set up a, a, an LLC, a limited liability company, or you could set up a corporation. There's also partnerships, different types of partnerships, but those are pretty rare. The main entities are LLCs and corporations. Okay, so uh, you know you talked about LLCs and the corporation. Sometimes people refer to a corporation as an ink. So let's t- focus on those two. Um, first question I have for you is: Does does one of those provide more legal protection than the other? Now, the simple answer is they both provide the same level of limited liability protection. Okay, good. Well, that's easy. So um, let's go into the important differences of kind of how they're organized, because that's, that's kind of really the big difference between that, that LLC and corporation, right, is kind of how they're organized and set up. Yeah, so corporations are a little bit more complicated. They issue stock to the owners. They can... They, can, they do that because the stock can be transferred to separate owners or new owners. LLCs are owned by members, and you can transfer that membership, but it's a little more uh, difficult. So it's but, like, like with a public corporation, you hear about trading stocks all the time, right? And that's what they're doing when you're trading stocks. You're, you're buying like little shares in that company, and that's, that's how a corporation handles it. Right? Absolutely. That's correct. Okay. Um, so is, is one of them easier to manage than the other? Yeah, corporations are going to have specific and I might say onerous legal requirements for being for being managed. For example, with a corporation, you're going to have to have a, a board of directors and that has a minimum requirement of directors. You're going to be run by executives, uh, typically called officers. And then you've got to keep minutes and have annual shareholder meetings and those shareholder meetings require notices to all your shareholders and things like that. With a, an LLC, you don't have the same type of administrative requirements, the same kind of upkeep. You, they're designed, and by state law, they were set up to be more flexible and owner-friendly. So LLCs are, are really helpful to companies run by the owners. They can be managed by the owners, or 
the LLC is flexible enough where if you want to designate somebody like a, a manager or president to run the LLC, you could do that. Uh, you don't have to maintain a board of directors. You don't have to pay them or do anything like that. And you also don't have to designate officers. It can be quite simple to get a LLC going. Okay. So, you know, this, to summarize that, the corporation's a little bit more difficult. There's more administrative burdens and requirements that you have to follow than there is with an LLC. So let me ask you this. Why is that significant? Well, it's primarily, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a cost savings to run an LLC. But one of the other benefits to running an LLC is when they were codified and created by state laws, it was recognized in state laws that you could be more flexible. So uh, when you start to talk about things like corporate veil, and, and that's a kind of a complicated legal doctrine, what that is is uh, if if the co- corporation has a liability and creditors of the corporation want to go after the individual, they're gonna. The only way they could do that is if they break through a veil and reach the personal individual behind a company. Well, it's harder to do that with an LLC because when LLCs were created, they they said in the state laws, look, these are going to be uh, simple to run. We're not going to have the same formalities as a corporation. So if the LLC doesn't have neat and tight minutes, if they're not running the same kind of uh, board of director meetings and so forth with their management, that's not going to be held against them for liability piercing the veil purposes. Okay, so that corporate veil, you know, that's a term you hear a lot in the the business and legal world, it, and it, it's really kind of a barrier. That's what creates that barrier between your personal basket and your business basket, right? And so you, you don't want to break that. You don't want to have things that happen that make it so that, you know, that barrier gets broken down in court because of things that you've done. So, you know, like, for example, I think there's some don'ts that you don't want to do, really, whether you're a corporation or an LLC, to kind of maintain that level of protection. So a few of the don'ts are you don't want to do things that make it look like the business and you are the same, even though you're two separate things. Like, for example, putting, you know, using your corporate business card and business accounts to pay for your diesel in your personal truck or, you know, putting your personal assets inside of that same business. You know, those kind of things make it so that the business and you appear to be the same thing. And then there's also some things that are due, that, that are dues that help you, you know, maintain that veil and, and that barrier and to show that you are two separate entities. Like, for instance, you do want to have separate bank accounts, your personal bank accounts, your business bank accounts, a personal phone number and a business phone number, and then addresses as well. You know, this isn't, these aren't necessarily hard and, and fast set rules, but good, good rules to live by, you know, that the, the addresses, you know, a lot of times that's not possible. You, you're running your business out of your home and, and, and that's okay. But if it's possible to have a, a separate address for your business versus you personally, it, that's always a good thing. It just kind of strengthens that, uh, that barrier. And so, you know, kind of what we see with, with most guys, especially in the startup phase or first starting up a trucking company, most guys are going to register an LLC because of the advantages that we've we've talked about. But why don't you maybe just for a few seconds kind of give some examples of why somebody would want to set their business up as a corporation instead of an LLC? I think a, I think a company would set up as a corporation or an LLC might convert to a corporation later on when they're they're getting really big and they're thinking about bringing on investors or you know they have a, a big operation and a lot of profits and they want to just 
reinvest those profits in the business and they want to formalize their legal structure instead of doing that through an LLC, which is a little harder to do. They just want to take up the, the corporate set of, uh, of a legal framework and start doing their business through that. And, and that's when they would do that. And they're really big. Good. And I would just add to that, that I don't think there's necessarily a set size when it makes more sense to, to be a corporation versus an LLC. But when I start to see it be more common is usually, you know, the 20 plus trucks size of a trucking company. Once you've got over 20 trucks, then people really start to look a little bit more closely at uh, having a corporation versus an LLC. Yeah, I agree. I think that makes sense. Okay, awesome. Well, that's, uh, I think, all that we want to cover right now. Does that sound like a good time to wrap it up? Yeah, great to be here today. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Preston. All right, so that was super interesting stuff. I won't pretend that none of it went over my head, <laughs> but but it is really interesting. And one one thing that stuck out to me was a phrase that I'd heard, but now I've finally heard it defined, and that's the corporate veil. Uh, and a, a little bit about what that means. I really enjoy that that idea of the corporate veil and protecting yourself from liability. But give me, if you could, Chris, some more concrete examples of what that looks like in the real world and and what you're protecting yourself from. Okay. Well, let's use a trucking company as the example. So if you're, you've got your trucking company and, and as Preston talked about, you've got your two baskets because you've set up your limited liability company. So all your assets for the trucking company are in the, that basket. And then you've got your eggs or your personal assets in your personal basket. And so let's say your trucking company's driving down the road and you get in an accident and it, heaven forbid, it's your fault. And so you get sued and the attorneys come after you. Well, they have to sue the company. As long as you weren't doing anything negligent personally, typically that's what happens is they're going to sue the company and they're going to go after the assets or the eggs that are in that company basket. And they typically cannot touch the eggs that are in your personal basket. Right. And, and okay. So this makes sense, but this doesn't necessarily mean that you're making a good situation out of it. I mean, it's never fun to be sued. You never want to be sued. But if I understand correctly, it's, it's essentially taking what is a bad situation and keeping it from becoming worse. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it's still not going to be fun. You're, you could potentially lose those eggs that are in the company basket, but you can sleep better at night because your eggs that are in your personal basket. So your home, if you've got one, your personal car, if you've got one, the money that you've got saved outside of the business, all that stuff should be protected. So it's, it's making a bad situation as good as it possibly can be. Right. And you know, sometimes I wish this were a TV show so I could have an eggs counter in the corner (laughs) of the screen for how many times you said eggs. Uh, So, all right. Is there anything else, Chris, that you want to talk about uh, with regards to your conversation with Preston? Anything else that uh, you feel like we need to hit? Not really, but I think we probably should talk about a couple things real quick to bridge the gap between the conversation with Preston and um, starting our conversation with with Jason. And, And I, and I mentioned this a little bit kind of in the intro, but I can't stress it enough. There's a difference between the legal structure and the tax structure. So the legal structure is what protects you, what creates that corporate veil. You file that with your state. And then once you've done that, you go and essentially register with the IRS and that determines what tax structure you're going to have. And that's basically what the conversation with Jason's going to be. Perfect. Well, let's uh, get started with Jason. Again, I'm just going to give that disclaimer that I did with Preston. Uh, Jason is a tax professional, but he's not your tax professional. So as you are getting started with your business, make sure that you consult 
your own as you get started. All right, ready, Chris? Let's do it. All right, I'm here today with Jason with Tracking Assets. Now, Tracking Assets, just in full disclosure, is a company that I am a partner in, focuses on providing accounting, bookkeeping, taxes, payroll services, you know, specifically to the trucking industry. So, you know, you can tell from the name tracking assets, hauling assets, kind of, uh, kind of a similar theme. And uh, anyway, I'm here with Jason. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Jason? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, I have a, a legal background where I studied business and taxation of uh, individuals and businesses. And I've been working specifically with trucking company for, I don't know, probably the last year, a little over a year now. And um, whether it's the accounting and tax uh, taxes that I've handled. Okay, great. So during our discussion with Preston, you know, we kind of determined that starting a trucking company, people are typically going to set themselves up as a limited liability company. They do that registration through their state. And now we're going to talk a little bit more about the tax side. That's done with the federal government and specifically the IRS. So, you know, there's a kind of a funny thing about the IRS and LLCs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, with the LLCs, the IRS really doesn't, it's a disregarded entity. So the, the IRS doesn't even recognize an LLC. Entities that, that are common, that are recognized by the IRS, especially with guys that do LLCs, they usually get set up with the IRS as a sole proprietor or a partnership or an S corporation, or a C corporation. So let's go a little bit more into each one of those. So taking a step back a little bit first, when you set up an LLC with your state, the next step is you need to apply for your EIN, or your employer identification number, which is kind of like your social security number for your business. And that's really how the IRS tracks you. So when you do that, you fill out a form, you answer a bunch of questions. And based on the questions that you answer, that the the IRS is going to automatically categorize your LLC into one of two tax categories. First is if you say that you're the only member of that LLC, there's only one member in it, they're going to automatically, for tax purposes, designate you as a sole proprietorship. So that's not a sole proprietorship in the legal sense. You still have all the legal protections that we talked about, but for tax purposes, they're going to designate you as a sole proprietor. So that means you're not going to file a, a tax return specifically for that business, you're going to just file the taxes. The you know, You're going to list your income, your expenses for the business on what's called the Schedule C of your actual personal tax return. If you answer on the, the EIN paperwork that you are a multiple member LLC, there's multiple people or multiple partners in that business, typically they're going to recognize you as a partnership for tax purposes. And in that situation, the business is still going to file its own separate tax return and the partners are going to um, get income that flows through the partnership into their personal taxes. Those are the the default designations. So Jason, why don't you kind of talk us to us about what most people actually do? Because in most situations, people aren't going to stick with that one of those two tax designations they're going to pick a different one correct so when uh, most of our clientele i i encourage them to 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 go with the s corporation you have to file paperwork specifically electing to be either a c corp or an s corp so i'd say get in touch with your accountant or who or your lawyer or whoever is working with you to to help you know what those deadlines are now um also, most small businesses don't choose, they don't elect to be taxed as a C-Corp because of what 
is called double taxation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what exactly double taxation is? Good question. So double taxation for C-Corps happens when the business pays the income taxes, but then whatever is left over is distributed down to the owners, and then it gets taxed again. So the income is taxed when it comes into the business, and then it gets taxed again when it goes out to the owners. So the owner wants to really avoid that. They don't want to have to pay taxes on both, so that's why we, we say, okay, go with the C-Corp because, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, go, go with the S-Corp because a, a, an S-Corp is what is called a pass-through entity. So any profits that the business earns throughout the year and what is left over after all the deductions is then passed through to the owner of the company and then they pay taxes on that. Okay, so just to kind of summarize, the big advantage of an S-Corporation is that you limit taxes having to be paid by the corporation itself. They pass through to the owner of the business. The owner pays it on their personal income taxes versus a C corporation that gets paid at the corporate level and then taxes get paid again when income's distributed to the owners. That's where the, the double taxation comes from. Exactly. Okay. So another, I know another advantage of an S corp besides that pass through um, designation is that they can save some money in payroll taxes, right? Correct. Yeah, payroll taxes are uh, are taxes that are paid by the by the company. Well, it's actually everybody has to pay. It. It's like the Social Security, the Medicare, and you know when you look on your pay stub, it'll say FICA. You know that that's what those are. Um, even sole proprietors and partnerships pay those when it comes to self employment taxes. So the, and they pay it. It's not called FICA taxes for them anymore. It's the same thing, but they call it self-employment tax, right? Yes. Okay. So how exactly does an S-Corp limit how much you have to pay in FICA taxes or those uh, payroll taxes? So the way to limit your FICA taxes when you have a company is by having the owner as an employee on the company, a W-2 employee. So they will pay their FICA taxes uh, as they earn their wages throughout the year in a, as an employee. Um, in that case, then also, they don't have to pay FICA and self-employment taxes on the profits of the business that the business earns. That amount really adds up pretty, uh, real quickly. To use it as, as an example, you know, if a trucking company owner is also the driver of the S-Corp, because he's an employee of that S-Corporation, and he earns $50,000 as a driver, He's going to end up paying, you know, his portion of the FICA taxes, that, that half of that 15.3% as the employee of the company. But then because he's also the owner of the company, he's still paying that other 7.5% or 7.3% or 7.65% that the company owes. So in, in essence, he's paying that whole 15.3% on that $50,000 that he earned as an employee. But the cool thing about an S-Corp is the profits above that the company earns above and beyond what is paid to the driver or the, the owner, that piece of it is not, they're not going to have to pay FICA taxes on. They're not going to pay payroll taxes on. So it, it's nice. It can save you a, a big chunk of money. So after a, you know, a year or two, if your company's making good money, you earn $50,000 as the driver. And then let's say you earn another $50,000 as the owner of the company. 
that second $50,000, you're going to save over $7,000 in payroll taxes because you're not going to have to pay FICA taxes on it. And because you're an S-corp, you're not going to have to pay self-employment taxes on it like a sole proprietor or a partnership would have to do. Exactly. And, you know, that's really one of the big reasons most small businesses elect S-corp status or S-corporation status for their taxes is to save one, avoid double taxation, and two, save um, what they have to pay in um, FICA self-employment payroll taxes. It's a, it's a good way to save some extra money. Exactly. Okay. Well, that uh, kind of leads us in the right direction. S-corp for most people is going to be the way to go. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Welcome back. So after that Jason conversation, I I, got to say, um, my brain is spinning a little bit. We've had two uh, pretty deep dives into uh, both business entities and now tax uh, info for for your new business. And I got to say, I don't know if you knew this, Chris. I worked in banking for four years. I, I worked in business banking for a good chunk of that. And I'm still, you know, even after all that, it just makes my head hurt to try to tease out the implications of all this uh, stuff. Uh, so let's dig into a little bit about what you and Jason were talking about. One of the terms that I want to talk about more is the idea of an S-corp. And what that means, you know, let's say with the Holland Assets trucking company that we're setting up here, let's say we want to set that up as an S-corp. What, why would we do that? What does it look like? What are the advantages? Let, let's do a little real world scenario here. So again, the, the biggest advantage with that is you are potentially going to be able to save from paying FICA tax or self-employment tax on the profit. So we can, let's let's just dive right into that with, with Holland Assets. So let's say Holland Assets, for the sake of this discussion, is set up in a, as an S-corp and me, Chris, I am the only owner in it, but I've, I've requested S-corp status with the IRS. So we're set up that way. So you've, you've essentially within the company have for, for payment purposes and tax purposes, you kind of have two entities in there. You've got Chris, the driver, and you've got Chris, the owner, and both of those Chris's, even though they're the same person are going to get paid in two different ways. Right. Legally, it's almost two different people. It, it kind of, to the IRS, the IRS is going to recognize those as two different people. They're going to recognize Chris as Chris, the driver that drives the truck mm-hmm. and is really nothing more than any other cupping trucking company employee. And then you've got Chris, the owner that does the owner function of the business. And, and they're both going to get compensated differently. And And so is that how you would say the bulk of people should be or would be doing this? In most situations, most small businesses, they do. They set up as an S corporation and then the owner is also an employee of the S corporation. That owner is going to get a W-2 form and wage and a pay stub every payday, just like any other employee would. So what's a, tell me a little bit more about the advantages of that. Why are we setting it up this way? So the biggest advantage with setting up this way is Chris, the driver is going to get paid his driver wage, which, you know, let's say for this example is 40 cents a mile. And over the course of a year, he drives enough mile miles and earns $50,000. So on that $50,000, Chris, the driver himself is going to pay half of that FICA tax that is due to the government. So half of that is 7.65%. And then, um, Holland assets, the company has to match that and they pay another 
or 7.65% for a total of 15.3%. So that's a total on $50,000 of 7,650 bucks. So because you really own the business and you're the driver, you're the one paying that full 15.3%. And that's a lot of money. Now, the, the nice thing about S-Corp status is the IRS gives owners a little bit of a relief and says, okay, you can treat that profit, the rest of the money that the company makes after you take all the money that came in, subtract out all the expenses, and that driver pay to Chris the driver is part of those expenses. Once you subtract all that out, then you get your net profit. And you don't have to pay FICA taxes or self-employment tax, which are basically the same thing on that second pot of money, the pot of money that Chris, the owner, earns. Right. So basically, you're, you're separating out uh, the like you said, the employee income versus the owner income and you're so that you're taxed on the, Just the employee, employee income, piece. which is almost certainly going to be lower. If you're if you're making a profit on the business, that's gonna be your lower tax burden by going with the employee. The, okay. the first little bit, you know, it's pretty common for the first year or two that yeah, the the employee portion is actually gonna be bigger than the owner yeah. portion. But as the business grows and that own, owner portion should get bigger and and you're gonna save more and more of that tax burden kind of kind of what you were talking about earlier where it you got to be thinking long term with your business decisions yep. yeah it may hurt a little bit the first year or so uh, but eventually well that, that things should be looking and, and from a tax perspective that doesn't really hurt you anymore you're going to pay that one way or another so so like with a sole proprietor if you're a sole proprietor under that same situation and your tax is a sole proprietor you're going to pay instead of fica taxes you're you're going to pay self-employment tax which is the same thing but you're going to pay it on the driver wage and you're going to pay it on the net income piece. So you're going to pay that 15.3% on everything. And, you know, that can easily double your tax bill. So, you know, for the example, if you get $50,000 for a driver, you're paying that 7650 bucks there. But then if you also earn another $50,000 as a company owner, if you're a sole proprietor, you're paying another 7650 bucks in taxes. If you're an S-Corp, you're not. Right. Now, I, I, forgive my beginner's question, but in what situation would I ever set up as a sole prop? Why would I ever do this? Yeah, I'm just, you, no, that's a great question. And based on what you're saying, I'm not sure I really, would Really, honestly, I think the reason that people set up as a sole proprietor is because it's easier and it's, it's a little bit cheaper. You know, well, in the, it, it's not cheaper. I mean, because you pay so much in taxes, but, you know, you don't have to file a second tax return as a sole proprietor. You, there, there's just a few things that are slightly simpler and um, less operational money out of your pocket, but you're gonna end up paying more in taxes. So really there's no good reason, in my opinion, to be a sole proprietor. Duly noted. Uh, but let's talk about some of the other types of, uh, of business entities and what advantages or disadvantages we might see there. Because what you're saying is, the bulk of people, you know, three quarters or more, you know, 90% of people are going to probably lean toward the S Corp, uh, you know, given all the advantages, but there are other types. And are there any other reasons why we might go with uh, an LLC or a, a C Corp or something so, like so, that? So, you know, one interesting thing about an LLC is an LLC is actually not recognized for tax purposes by the IRS. So the IRS, if you set up an LLC, is going to require you to. Um, pick an, an actual tax, de tax designation that they recognize. So 
if if you sign up as a sole you're a single member llc you're automatically going to default to be taxed as a sole proprietor if you sign up as a multi multi member llc you're automatically going to be designated as a partnership the other two options that are going to be the most common for our clients are s corp status or s corporation status or c corporation status and you have to actually request as an llc from the irs to be taxed under those um, laws so um, you know we already went through the s corporation but the c corporation the biggest reason that people typically do that is because they want to grow a ton they want to turn that business into a biz, big business that they're going to sell or they're going to take public or something like that and they want to reinvest that money and they're going to reinvest a ton of money back into the business because under a c corporation those that reinvested money you don't pay taxes on under an s corporation or a partnership or a sole proprietor you pay taxes on that money even if it stays in the company and then again as we kind of mentioned with jason that uh, the the big disadvantage of a c corporation is that double taxation issue right right now nobody wants that nobody wants that and yeah. I, I mean that's the whole purpose except of for it. the irs they like it <laughs> no doubt so maybe not nobody <laughs> good point all right fine uh you've outsmarted me yet again <laughs> all right so as as i said at the beginning i i hope that uh, people don't get too annoyed by the repetition but this stuff is frankly it's confusing to me i know it's going to be confusing to a lot of people and i, I just want to make sure that i get it and that everybody else has a chance to understand it as well. And as dry and as painful as listening to this episode is, it's probably one of those that you'll want to listen to multiple times just exactly. so you can grasp it, remember it, remember the concepts behind it, because it really is a huge piece. And and that's, you know, for episode two, we could have picked something a lot more fun to listen to or more entertaining, but you know what? There's really nothing more important than this because everything else is the foundation. Everything else is built on top of this business. When you buy your truck, you typically want to buy it through your business. When you get insurance, it's the insurance getting the business. Um, when you're applying for your motor carrier authority, it's the business applying for it. So you've got to have that set up and you want to set it up right so that uh, you don't cause yourself problems in the long run. Perfect. Well, uh, Chris, I, I'm glad you had a chance to sit down with those guys. I'm glad you had a chance to explain to me a little, uh, you know, in person, a little bit more about that stuff. Uh, any parting words of wisdom, anything else that uh, you want to pull out from those conversations or anything we haven't talked about yet that you want to get into? You know, this is a fun time. It's a big step, but it's definitely really kind of almost step one in this whole process. I've got one more parting question for you. And this is a, a serious question that, uh, that I wish I could have asked you six years ago. If someone has already set up their business entity and they realize, you know what, I wish I could set it up as something else. I, I want to switch it over. How difficult is it to do that? How do they do that? Um, it, it can be done. Uh, you know, we've had clients that, you know, for the first four years of their operations were an LLC and um, then they decided they wanted to grow really big. And so they changed the LLC into a corporation, elected C-Corp status. All that stuff can be changed. There's, there's rules behind doing that. It's not just as simple as flipping a switch, but it, it definitely can be done. Perfect. All right. Uh, if you have any other questions, make sure you go to hollandassetsllc.com and uh, hit up the show notes there. We'll be back in episode three. Chris, what are we talking about in episode three? Episode three, we're going to talk about getting your DOT number and MC number and a few of the other things that go along with that. Oh man, another foundational piece. Another foundational piece. Perfect. All right. We will see you guys there. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. See you later. <laughs>